podcaster, I hardly know her. (laughs) Welcome to the I Hardly Know Her podcast, hosted by me, Megan McCaleb. If there's one thing I've learned in this life, it's that I still have a lot to learn. This podcast is your invitation to expand your understanding on all sorts of topics and shake things up a little bit. Listen in and learn something new from the stories, professional insights, and a wide range of expertise shared by me and my incredible guests. And remember, my friends, you don't have to be a big deal to do big things. Today's guest, Michelle Choate, MA, consults and speaks on her nearly 25 years of individual, organization, and leadership development experience. She facilitates a collaborative process that enables individuals and teams to lead with increased focus, clarity, and confidence. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the show. Very excited about today's guest. Michelle is going to wow you with all sorts of insights that are going to help you to look internally so that you can be more impactful externally in the world around you. She's one of my very favorite people, and she consults and speaks on her nearly 25 years of individual, organizational, and leadership development experience. She does coaching and advising in healthcare, nonprofits, technology, government, and higher education. You're going to want to seek Michelle out if you want to conceptualize solutions that build on strengths and develop skills that reflect individual and team purpose. You can find out a little bit more about her bio in the links. And I just want to jump right into it. So I'm going to welcome to the show the fabulous Michelle Choate. Welcome to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. It's a pleasure. Thanks for letting me come here and talk about what I care about. Yeah, I love to bring people with such good energy into the space because I know that my listeners really are in a space often where they're ready to kind of learn more. They're wanting to figure out how how do we get to change our perspective on things and how do we collect more information in areas that we might not know about. And so it is really inspiring for me to bring people who are so good at what they do um, so that we can give people a little bit of information to expand their own awareness. And that's where you come in. I'm like, hello, you're, I've just, am so inspired by you in the years that I have known you so far. Thank you. So let's jump right into like, what are, tell, tell us why you got on this path and when, or did you intentionally get on this specific path or did you sort of formulate the plan as you were picking up the pieces in your career? You know, that's a great question. Um, it, the path was put before me as I continued to do the work for others. In organizations, when you're hired to do organization development and coaching, it's often to drive a business outcome. And in working with individuals, what I started to really notice, and it was for myself as well, which drove some of my own choices professionally, when you're being asked to behave in ways that are not in alignment with your values, you start to experience what's called dissonance, like things don't work. They don't fit. You don't feel right. You don't feel successful. You don't feel like you're connecting with the thing that gives you the greatest value about your work. And Mm -hmm. so watching that happen again and again, and being a part of an organization, trying to tell a story about the organization, but then hearing people say, but that's not what we do here. Mm -hmm. And then myself being involved in employee engagement and seeing that the organization doesn't really actually care about that to the degree Mm. they say they do, left Mm. me myself disengaged. And that was really those those awarenesses of, I'm not doing the work that really matters to me. 
And while the organization is paying me to do this work, I don't know that they really value me. I want to work where I can make a difference in a way that I know I'm capable of without the limitations of an organizational structure or value set that doesn't align with my own and ultimately doesn't allow me to support people in an authentic way. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's so many thoughts running through my head. I'm like having flashbacks of times working in corporate environments that I was like hearing hearing the company say one thing and maybe seeing things that were not actually lining up, not only from the company messaging and branding in some ways, but also like I found myself in a corporate job that was not really something I sought out because of the industry even. It was a job at first and then became a career. I wonder how much do you see in in the space of like these work environments where there are so many individuals, they all have their different personal goals. And yet how, how much of a problem is it where there's people that are in these jobs that are not necessarily in alignment and they're having to wear different hats. They're like this person at work, they're this person at home. There's probably endless things we could unravel, but yeah. we'll start with that no, part. That, that was, it kind of feels like the tragedy of corporate life. Uh, that you're called to be someone who who isn't your authentic self. Mm. And that's the opportunity that I find in doing team development and coaching. When we are called to be authentic, our authentic selves, our energy is better, our mm. focus is better, the products are better. When we have to compromise ourselves or, or the environment, frankly, gets politicized because of power or status, we're, we're putting forth a, a, a persona that is not the best of who we are. It's what meets the moment or needs of the people around us. When I'm coaching and thinking about even my own personal and professional development, which is a, is a chronic state for me because I can't not, um, I, I, what I want people to find is the, the core of who they are. I just wrapped up a coaching uh, engagement with a client yesterday. And, you know, part of that is a debrief as we kind of outtake. And mm -hmm. I said, so tell me about the coaching experience. What about it? Did you find valuable? What about it was difficult? And he said, the thing that I didn't expect, but I found the greatest value in is I, you never asked me to not be me. I thought, mm -hmm. oh, she's going to try to make me feel and be and act. And he said, what you ended up creating is a greater sense of who I am. So when I'm choosing to act, I'm doing so in alignment with my values and I can be myself and get better outcomes by making those choices. Mm. So you know, not wearing a hat, yeah. but truly just stepping forward into a space and wearing, wearing yourself, no armor, no expectations, simply being the best. That's, that's the joy that we can mm -hmm. find in our work. When we're doing that, we decrease our burnout. Uh, we decrease unhealthy coping mechanisms because we're not trying to, after the drive home, to be a parent, drink a glass of wine so I can feel better. Mm -hmm. You know, we just are better throughout our days. And it's just an attunement to the best of who we are and then expressing that. Oh, yeah. How much would you say, Michelle, of your work is people bringing you in in a proactive way or they are mm -hmm. in a reactive state trying to stop bleeding of some problems <laughs> that are happening in the workplace? You know, it's often it's often for one reason that ends up becoming the other. People will come, I need coaching on or my team needs development on. And through my, the process that I really, I really lean into is data collection. We, 
so often people come to me with what they think is happening. And my first step in any engagement, whether it's individual or team coaching or, or leadership development or even keynote speaking, is really what is happening in the environment that is causing you to think an intervention such as this is going to be of benefit. When I start to gain insight, I, I then use other data to help people understand the con not just the context and where they're working or functioning, but how they're responding to that environment. So using feedback is always so critical to determining is it, is it, are we doing remedial work or are we doing developmental work? And with, without exception, even though an organization might say this leader will be better if they can fix X, Y, and Z, that, which can look remedial, it becomes developmental because of their commitment to being more than they have been before. And it's rarely the organization that comes to me, in fact, ever, and says, oh, they're doing much better. You're, we're fine now. It's usually the, the client that says, I'm better, and I'm responding better to the environment. So oh. even if it is more corrective, it ends up being developmental regardless. Okay. Oh, so good. Do you have any, like, favorite examples of when you saw, like, a real profound change that you can share with us? Or pick one from, I'm sure there's probably a yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, my, my head was like, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, all the people's faces start to shudder in and out, like end of life activity. Um, the, one just jumps out at me though. There, there One, one time I was coaching a, a senior leader and I had gotten feedback from, as part of my, my engagement process from people that worked with them at a peer level, people that work with them at a reporting level, and then their senior leader. And their direct reports valued them. They were seen as charismatic. They were they were leadership material is often the language that would be used, but their, the peers mm -hmm. found them to be arrogant and cold and self-serving. Now, what's the difference between a person behaving with their peers and a person behaving with their direct reports? Well, there's a lots of different things, and one of it might be power, what it turned out as we dug in was this person felt a profound insecurity with their peers. Mm. And in order for them to feel confident, they were putting forth behaviors that looked arrogant, but they were in fact a coping mechanism to help themselves feel more confident. Ooh, and, and so, yeah, now we're talking about someone who's really functionally effective in one area and not so much in another. And all we did is say, look, what makes you such a great leader to these people is you're approachable. People like you. They want to talk to you. They value your humor. And he wasn't doing that with his peer group. And to watch him start to use that, that gift that he had in a way that crossed a lot of different functional areas mm -hmm. and to gain respect, not because he demanded it, but because he was respectable and trustworthy. Uh, was a really profound experience. And it comes back to that concept of feedback. How do we know how we're doing in any environment unless we're seeking feedback, which can either be in a formal way, like through a 360, which is a, a tool that I use, or through simply being curious about the responses you get from people and asking, how am I contributing to this environment or outcome? Mm. Ooh, yeah. How Do you ever walk into a group of folks and they are so ingrained in like these processes they've been in, they don't even know who they are out of it, outside yes. of it? Okay. Yes, often. And um, 
that's where my background in organizational culture, I, and I say background, it's kind of like addiction um, mm-hmm. because a person doesn't behave without a context, right? And mm-hmm. culture, organizational culture in and of itself, there's a great, there's a great um, author called Stan Slap. And the way that he describes culture is basically it's a survival space. People want to know how they're going to be safe and they'll behave in whatever way helps them feel safe. And so if an organization is behaving in ways that they can feel safe or feel powerful or feel effective or get rewarded, those behaviors become ingrained and they're actually unspoken. Uh, They become habit. Mm -hmm. And so to lift an organization out of a a habit is uh, it's a complex and it complex choice for an organization because they do start often with, well, only if, if our leader was better, it would be better here. Well, actually, it's if all leaders are better and consistent. Mm-hmm. That, that ex, I'll, I'll use the word that comes to mind, the expository process of gathering data and showing people what's really happening around them instead of assuming they can see the artifacts, the qualities of the culture that are unseen and unspoken gives us a chance to really honor the past that a culture has evolved from and often still retains for good or for bad and then determine what of that culture is really going to help us move forward and and to encapsulate that in a behavior set and then begin to reward it through effective performance management and leadership modeling Mm. the the getting stuck is very normal and very natural and i'm seeing a lot of organizations having coming out of covid changing work environments going virtual and changing reward systems um really being impacted by that, that ingrained behavior set right now. And the question mm-hmm. I think can be explored again and again. How much of that I wonder is the, is, is the leadership or the, the human resources department, like who's, who's making those decisions to change or are they actually listening to feedback from employees to be like, Oh, well, if we're going to stay here, these certain dynamics need to change. It, is it both? I don't know. It, it's a to change means to listen. Mm. you can't, I mean, you cannot walk through any environment or, or function effectively without attending to paying attention to what's happening around you. A listening organization, a learning organization is going to be more effective at gathering the information they need to know if their behavior changes are working and making a difference, or if they're creating disillusionment um, or impacting morale in a negative way. HR can be a part of that if the functional part of HR is totally transactional. Mm. Um, they don't, they're not a partner. The best mm. organizations and those that I most often get to work with, I'm so blessed, are those where HR is, is truly a partner with leadership, not seen as an adversary or a necessary evil. Uh-huh. Um, at the highest level, culture change needs to happen with human resource leadership, operations, and executive leadership. So it truly is a triumph triumvirate, if you will, three people, three organizational areas that have to function together to change the culture because you have to change rewards. Mm-hmm. You have to change what's really valued. If you say we value home life balance, but the leaders are sending emails at 10 o'clock at night and you don't answer in a timely fashion, mm-hmm. they get in trouble for it um, or feel judged by it. The culture's not in alignment. So now, you, you know, you've got the individuals not feeling in alignment. Then you got the organization not creating a space for alignment. And then you get a reward system that doesn't support authenticity or engagement in meaningful ways. And you're not going to get business outcomes that you want. I think, you know, really at the heart of it is leadership choosing, consciously choosing to not do what they did before. 
and being courageous in ways that they've never had to be before because the environment is changing so rapidly. How we've always done it is simply not going to work. Mm. It's the courage to change. I love that. I'm like, ooh, you're just popping off all sorts of quotables. <laughs> I love it. So in your scope, like some of your top focuses in industry, including healthcare is obviously one that really stands out to me. Like that's probably been an industry that's had some of the most substantial, I don't know. I'm like, maybe ever, I don't want to say that so specifically, the most substantial changes, but also I'm like having a pandemic involved and healthcare being kind of a important component. Um, I mean, is the, is the change happening on a large scale with a large percentage of companies in, in, in the industry, or is it like, is there still resistance? Is there people that are, who's, how do you know? I don't know. I don't know where that question's going. I'm just like, there's so <laughs> much, there's so much ne necessity for evolution and like also yeah. making sure it's an inviting place for more people to come into that yep. field in the new season. Whatever it in. is. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the one of the things I realized a couple of years ago, and I used to, when I was teaching change leadership and change management, which is a skill set that runs alongside project management, you know, we mm -hmm. talk about change being a constant. Um, most often, people think of change management as something that happens at an event and that at the point of time that things change, then the change management is done. Mm. That was when organizations could take a more methodical approach to change because they had time, two, three, five years because their strategies could be that far out and oh. they could still be functionally effective in a future, in a future um, business environment. Mm -hmm. Now, and this is, this is a great language that I love to, to point out to organizations. Now that change cycle happens in a rapid cycle space in what is called the chaos zone of change. No longer do we get to let stuff go, transition emotionally, and then accept a new beginning. Every day, sometimes minute by minute, is a new beginning. And mm. organizations not honoring that are still demanding people perform at their level they were before when the environment is changing constantly. Yeah. And one phrase for that is VUCA. Um, organization, our environments are more volatile, uncertain, they're more ambiguous, and they're more complex. Mm. And so the way we used to do stuff simply won't work anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and people are not emotionally hardwired to manage in those environments unless the culture allows for rapid cycle improvement, allows for continuous improvement practices where people can fail. And that's goes, uh, that takes us right back to a learning culture or an mm -hmm. organizational culture that is allows for courage and risk and mm -hmm. rewards it. Yeah. And are there reward comes around innovation. But I'm yeah. I'm not talking about innovation. I'm talking about coming to work every day, yeah, and dealing with change that is is un it's unprecedented. We've never had it like this before. Yeah, it's going to change either. Oh yeah. Oh, and I think it's what's super important about it. And I, I'm I'm wondering if you relate to this. What I like in my space of working with companies and things, a lot of the times this feedback I get from individuals is more expansive than the workplace too. It's now a, a shift of how they're able to approach a lot of things in their individual mind and their life. And it's yep. and it like what you were just saying. Just even showing up to work looks so different than it looked for people just showing up to work several years ago. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about like the individualized impact and why your work is obviously important in the workplace because we spend so much time in our workplaces. 
and how that kind of becomes a ripple effect to be for the greater good of our communities and individuals and families. Yes. And yes the, that that's actually where that's where my heart and and head come back to as well is that the core mm -hmm. of this is not organization it's people mm -hmm. and each individual person has a choice to contribute in a way that's meaningful to the things that they value most that can be organizational outcomes it can also be their family it can also be their community it can also be their um, other organizations their churches or their their hobby areas wherever they choose to engage in a way that they feel can make a difference also has to give back to them in some way. And I think that's one of the things that organizations haven't realized is to get people to be productive and effective is not a carrot and stick anymore. And it really never was ultimately uh, now that people feel like they have more choice and that their values are shifting to value the things outside of work more than inside of work. Mm -hmm. People want to feel like the organization cares about them as much as they care about the organization. And that means organizations need to communicate differently when organizations aren't meeting individual needs though. It's, it, it is incumbent on the individual to lead themselves to assess their environment for unhealthy workplace or other relationships that keep them from being functionally effective. Um, there was a, there's a great saying, uh, you know, that you are, you are reflective of the five people that you keep closest to you. Have you heard that before? Oh yeah. So mm -hmm. I actually dug into that. I was like, I'm curious. It's, it's not actually just the five people though. This is what mm. the data is showing. If at the center of this is five people, I'm actually influenced three generations out by the people that the people relate to outside of my environments. Oh, interesting. So three generations away from the people closest to me is where the influence begins, because that's where we decide what's really valuable. And those norms come into our relationships, unspoken, even often without awareness. So mm. being able to be self-aware in these spaces and demonstrate in these spaces, I mean, personal and professional and be conscientious of what the environment is giving you and what you're getting back from it. So that there's a healthy balance in all of these spaces, family, workplace, friendships, that mm. is a mutual energy exchange. And you can think of that, that on a metaphysical level or a you know, social level or whatever. If people around you are not helping you be better and valuing you for who you are and lifting you up, maybe they're not the right people. And that's where the tough conversations come in. That's where coaching gets so important. Um, to be able to look into yourself and determine what you need and what's best for you um, and challenging some of those norms that you have, those habits that you have um, is some of the hardest work. Oh man, for sure it is. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of your speech, I got to hear uh, Michelle speak recently at an event and it, what really stood out to me was your um, focus on self-leadership. Because I spent a lot of time working in corporate and I, I am like a self-development. Like I love to read the books. I like to listen to the podcasts. I like to try to think I'm like looking in the mirror and going, what can I do different? And I don't know how I've just really never come across that term. Like I never really thought about self-leadership because we focus so much on who's leading us and how are we leading other people. And right. That really drew me in when you were um, speaking at, at that event recently was just hearing you talk about it in a way that 
just took my my understanding even to a newer level. So I know you're kind of touching on that in this space, but expand even a little bit more. Like if you have someone who maybe is, they're blocked and they don't even know it. You're walking into places where they know that something's not flowing and maybe they are not even considering they could possibly be part of the challenges holding themselves right. back. How do you even start bringing that concept into someone's space? You know, one of the most, I think one of the most valuable tools we have is a data set that we rarely use in this way. This data set is called emotion. Emotions are data. They tell, they are cues that we are having an experience of our environment or an event or a relationship. The quality of the emotion is going to tell you the quality of the event or the environment or the relationship and whether you are in a space that is healthy and can allow for you to be, uh, take, be courageous and take risks and be your authentic self or one where you have to guard yourself, um, where you feel fear or anxiety. And so using data as a calibration point is where I start. If something mm -hmm. feels strongly positive or negative, it's an important thing to attend to. And then thinking about if I'm, <laughs> if I'm sitting in any environment and feeling strongly anything, what is it about the environment that's causing and eliciting that feeling? And then mm -hmm. coming back into self-leadership, well, I get to choose. The environment doesn't get to make me feel. People don't make me feel. If the data says I'm feeling fearful, what is it that I need to change about how I'm seeing this environment, about what I can do that I'm in control of in this environment or this relationship and what is not mine and setting kind of internal boundaries around, they may be angry with me. All I have to do is hear them. Their anger is data to me as well. Mm. And rather than reacting, I get to be in a space where I get to be thoughtful and reflective about what I'm experiencing. Mm. Reflection and then action instead of reaction. Mm. Mm. And isn't it great? We have all this is. power and we don't use it. I know. Well, how how often do you run into just stubbornness or unwillingness of people to want to look at their emotions? Like, like there's so many people that I think are stuck in in mm -hmm. these little cyclones of things and they don't even realize it. Like, does it drive you crazy sometimes to be like, you know, ah, or rarely does it drive me crazy because it's just data. <laughs> I just okay. see it and I'm like, okay. okay, they're feeling they're And usually if someone's not wanting to see mm -hmm. it's because they're afraid that either what they see means they have to take responsibility for something that they don't want to like having a tough conversation or changing their own behavior, or they're, they're, they're truly in a habit or pattern that has kept them safe for so long that they don't know how to see. And so it's scary to take that step. Either of those cases, though, is a great conversation and a chance for people to start to explore whether their power lies, uh, lies outside of themselves. People make mm -hmm. me feel mm -hmm. or it lies within themselves. I choose. Yeah. And that's that's almost without exception. That's the trigger unless, you know, and we can always go to the playful spaces of the sociopaths. But, you know, we're talking about people that that. that group of people is like two to five percent of the population, not even two to five, two to three percent of the population. Uh -huh. And they're probably not functional in the workplace. Right. If they are, they probably have other conditions that allow them to be functional without mm. creating harm. So, you know, and most often, oh, they're just an irrational, blah, blah, blah. Well, how are you behaving in such a way that creates their response to you? 
that's feedback. Mm. Their behavior is feedback, just mm -hmm. like data. And those are um, emotions being data. Feedback in terms of how people behave around you and the outcomes you're getting, those, that's data you use to make choices about how you use your power. Yes. So I love fun. I love it. I love that you brought that up too because recently, well, sometime in the past like five or six months, I read a book about sociopaths because I needed to I needed to have some logic of why there are a certain group of people that are not clicking on the same emotional field yeah. and and the consciousness. Anyway, not that this needs to totally sidebar, but it was very interesting to me whenever I feel like I don't have answers of like, how could people do these certain things? And why are these certain dynamics? And what are these big blocks that we have societally? And then I was like, just looking into it. And I'm like, wait, I'm going to read up on some books about different types of people because um, it may be a small percentage. And yet if you get that one rogue person in there that can be kind of a challenge to work with um, for me, I'm like, I just want to know all the information. So then if we yep. can figure out how do we, how do we navigate through some of those things? Um, anyway, so I think it's very interesting that you bring that up because can you, like when you go into a room, what, how do you read the people? I mean, can you tell pretty quickly, like, what level they're going to be engaging at. I mean, even just the way they probably carry themselves, yep. the way they articulate their. Yep. How people, everything. how people behave around you is feedback. It's yeah. all environmental feedback. Uh, I send something out and depending on what I get, I get back, I understand better if what I sent out was received as I intended. Mm. And if I intend to engage people and I'm working in a very, for myself in a very authentic way, very vulnerable in in my in my fields, I'll call that. Um, I'm at, I'm also at the same time paying attention to all the feedback I'm getting, and there yeah. are the people that are in there with me, and I'm watching them come along. And then there are the people that I can see are not connecting. It's either not safe for them, or they don't know how. Mm -hmm. And I don't. When I'm working with a group, I'm not going to focus on that. That's not. Mm -hmm. I don't. That's not where I want to spend my energy. Yeah. Um, when I work with them individually, it can very quickly, I can tell whether it's going to work. And I've actually gone to a senior leader and said, I, I, I just don't think coaching is going to be a valuable resource for this person. They're not in the space oh, wow. to hear feedback and are willing to change. That's happened to me one and a half times. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like reminiscent to me of my, uh, standup experiences being a standup comedian is like, you can have you can tell the engagement level uh, and like who wants to be at the show and who was drugged there by a friend and who's just like hanging out because, you know, and then the people that like almost want you to fail, you know, the hecklers and the different things right. that kind of come up. And it's like in those moments, there's like a, a, a general rule. I think that a lot of us follow as performers is you, you look to engage with the people who are on board and yep. then the structure in place of if they're thing if the things are out of line is then the bouncer will take the problem out of the room because they're not going to be a productive part of the comedic connecting experience of comedy. And there's so many parallels to that in in the corporate or any workspace of just like who's working to connect, bringing themselves in and contributing and being part of it. And who's like, hmm. Mm -mm. Well, yeah. what you're describing, even you, how you're talking about it in the context of comedy feels so much like self-leadership. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm going to get feedback that is not going to validate me or make me quote unquote 
feel good. And I choose what I do with that. Yeah. I still get to choose if I'm going to take the weight of someone's uh, anger or abuse or conviction and make it a reflection of who I am. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'm going to choose to focus on the people that give back to me what I need in any work environment or personal relationship. And I think the thing that people often feel like they have to compromise on is their values in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just implore people, if you feel like you're, in, if you feel, and I mean feel the emotion and also yeah. feel the physical impacts of compromising yourself in any way, it's a great chance to start to explore things like self-leadership, emotional intelligence, um, other behavioral assistant assessments are out there. But mostly it's a chance to say, where do I really get my greatest value and, and focus my energy on building the things that I can, that give me gratitude and give me joy and give me energy back rather than suck energy from me. I love it. I was nosing around at your website and people can take a little peek here. You can visit michellechote.com. But even right here on the front page, I love it that you are, you are identifying the people that you really love to work with. These are people who want to make a difference at work and in the world. And individualized way of like, it's kind of exciting to think of the amount of ownership we can take in our experience and way beyond, like the legacy we're leaving of our own existence. Oh, the power. The po Every person has so much power. and when we compromise it in service of other, and I don't mean in a healthy way, a caregiving way, mm -hmm. um, but in a way that we, we have designed to help keep us safe in unsafe spaces, we lose a part of ourselves. And at mm -hmm. the end, there may be nothing left of you. Um, you may have diminished your physical health, your emotional health, and the relationships that truly were valuable in service of something that in the end didn't love you back. Mm. I've never had a building give me a hug. I've never had an organization right. lift me up, right? Those are those are spaces and places and they serve themselves. Yeah. Self-leadership is is serving self in a way that lifts others up. And you can only really do that if you're going to be your authentic self. Oh, I love it. If there is someone out there that is struggling with really stepping into their authentic self, as we kind of are on this home yeah. stretch here, what is something you could guide someone who maybe they're just hearing self-leadership for the first time and they've never really stopped to consider that? Um, what could we invite them to do today as just a simple step towards yeah. unlocking that discovery? I think one of the most graphic ways to describe self-leadership is, you know, I'm seeing us on a split screen right now. Mm -hmm. So, if I were to turn to you and say, Megan, I think you are the most boring, irritating person. Every time you open your face, I just want to claw my eyes out. Oh like, how does that make you feel? Like I want to end the recording. Right. So how, <laughs> why is it that we allow ourselves to speak with ourselves that way in our head? Well, that was a really stupid thing to say. I'm sure why you could have done better. You're so dumb. You're so fat. You're, you're so ignorant. Nobody wants to hear what you have to offer, mm -hmm. right? If, mm -hmm. if my best friend, if my colleague turns to me and says something abusive to me, what is the likelihood I want that relationship to be sustained? And how is that relationship serving me? Mm. It's not. Self-leadership is listening to that self-talk and saying, and honoring, I recognize you're trying to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm a mature, responsible, effective human being in and of myself. And I don't need your guidance anymore, voice. I need you to step aside. I need you to step down. I trust me. Self-leadership, self-trust, self-compassion, yeah. self-management. Do you tell that to yourself? Pay attention to that voice. Do I tell that to myself? Yeah, I'm like, I talk to myself out loud sometimes. Yeah. The, more, the, the more bold I need to put the, put the voices at bay, it's like out loud. I was curious if you actually verbalize it and you're like, mm-hmm, uh-huh. worry, I, I got do. this. Okay. I literally hear myself and it's a shift from, and this is another kind of buzzword, but it's a shift from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. You know, I'll be walking down the hall and I'm carrying three things and my phone's under my arm and my phone drops and I'll say, well, that was dumb. Like, well, and then I go, well, that actually wasn't dumb. No one can carry this many things and not drop something, which is the most important thing for you to carry. I mean, I literally verbalize all this back out loud to I'm myself, set it. down the coffee cup, pick up my phone, make two trips up and down the stairs, right? Um, and you can experience the physical harms of this, and you know, because that's how that's why we do coping stuff, right? It's because yeah. I don't want to feel the feelings that I'm I'm eliciting in my own self-talk. Mm-hmm. So it is about really calling it forward and acknowledging that you don't serve yourself in a, in a way that allows you to grow. If you spoke to your employees the way you speak to yourself, would they stick around? Well, of course not, because that's not good leadership. So yeah. why do you talk to yourself that way? So really hone in on the self-talk. And mm-hmm. I don't need, I, and, I'm, and that sounds kind of like an easy thing to do. It's really not. The best way to start is to pay attention to that data point, the emotion. If I'm feeling something strongly, what is it that I'm telling myself? Yeah. And that's a great place to start. And then you start to reframe what you're telling yourself to shift the emotion. I love it. And also having just that intentionality will show us how often we're having those types of thoughts too. So we can go, oh, look at these Oh. Not as ideal habits that we have that and and oh, seeing the opportunities yeah. for corrective measures. I mean, I think it's exciting. It's annoying and frustrating how much you know ongoing work the coaching space is for ourselves. And yet it I think it's really remarkable to put some intentionality around something and go, whoa, look at all of this. Like you keep you refer to it as data. Look at yep. all of this information that I get to choose to use to make myself a better person to feel better inside my own skin, inside my own mind. Mm-hmm. And of course that has a ripple effect way beyond ourselves. Absolutely. Every day. I love Every it. Day. Oh, this is always so enlightening. I love to connect with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Anyone out there that is hearing this amazing message, if you work with a, a team or in a dynamic where you can benefit and hey, like reach out. All the links to connect with Michelle are going to be available yeah. in the show notes. Um, and I just appreciate you so much. It, it makes it sound not only simple and attainable to actually have some steps, um, but yeah, just the way that you you bring it, it, it just feels so yummy. <laughs> like- I, I think so too. <laughs> And to be to do to work in the space that I work is truly a privilege to walk alongside people and watch them grow and do the things they knew they could do and they were the only thing in their way. Mm. Mm. Such a such a joy. I love such it. A joy. And so always such a joy to see you, Megan. Thank you. Oh well, thank you so much. I appreciate you giving this gift to our listeners. And yeah, thanks for coming on. Oh, honored. Be well.
Thanks for tuning in to the I Hardly Know Her podcast. For information about leadership workshops, public speaker training, and all things kooky Megan, check out improvteamculture.com. We'll catch you next time.